Thanks for joining us for the executive series. I'm speaking with Kevin Batoli, who is the portfolio manager at PM Capital's Global Opportunity Fund. Uh, for those who watched the previous uh, episode, we were talking about Asia, and uh, now we're going to have a bit of a chat about what's going on in Europe. And Kev, you know, for a, a years now, uh, essentially since COVID began, there's been a lot of trepidation around the European economy. You know, we know the relationship between the European economy and what happens with the rest of the world uh, from GFC days. Uh, how has that coloured the landscape in terms of people's thinking about what's going on in Europe? Yeah, so obviously, as you mentioned, European debt crisis, Brexit have been you know, factors that the market's been dealing with for a, for a long period of time. You, you throw on top of that COVID, obviously some of the hardest hit countries in the initial COVID wave, Italy, Spain, uh, and then follow that up in March of this year with obviously Russia, Ukraine. So sentiment towards a lot of the European economy uh, and you know, markets there ha has been poor. And there's been a reason why investors may look elsewhere. Before I, I talked about this valuation dispersion between Asia and the US, similar thing has happened uh, in Europe in terms of valuation. Europe's so, at the bottom of the pile. Correct. So again, we think that's a really good setup uh, moving forward. And it's been a, a big driver of our performance over the last 12 months because while everyone's you know, questioning the growth outlook in Europe, you know, stocks were, you know, there was a fire sale on, on stocks and valuations were very attractive. So uh, European uh, you know, banking is a big position for us, it's performed very well. Predominantly the domestic banking franchises, not some of the yep. investment banks. So yep. UBS's, your, your credit you, services, you, not those more businesses. More retail focus. Retail focus, Karsha, Bank of Ireland, ING. Uh, and then European industrials. Now, European industrials is an interesting one because let's, they're let's global just, um, businesses. Let's just focus on the bank side of yep. things. So, you know, Europe in particular had um, negatively yielding uh, bonds for a, a long time. Uh, the, the consumer landscape looked quite challenged. What were the catalysts for you to think, okay, this is a good time to go and buy some European banks? So valuation is always our starting point. So European banks were trading at you know, five, six times. They are businesses that have cleaned themselves up a lot. They've gotten rid of non-core businesses. You know, they've built their capital up. So when people look at the European banking landscape and they look, they, they look at the consumer and they think the consumer's under pressure, well, the banks are very well uh, positioned today compared to say where they were 10 years ago. They've cleaned themselves up. They're much more defensive in nature. They've got a lot of capital. And if anything, they're overcapitalized. So right. one of the other things that was happening in the banking space was you were starting to see some of that capital be released, either paid out as dividends or buybacks to shareholders. So that was another positive catalyst that was emerging. But the big driver was really the rate story. So inflation is something we've been talking about for the last two or three years, you know, there's real structural stories to that inflation uh, you know, thesis. Yep. You've got ESG, energy transition, inflationary, reshoring, inflationary. So there's some very big drivers of this you know, longer term. And the furthest behind the curve, obviously Japan, but second furthest behind the curve was Europe. So yep. amazing to think not more than six months ago, negative rates. So the banks we own, very sensitive to that rate story. And our view was, you've had this global group 
think around growth, inflation, interest rates. That was moving. The US went first, New Zealand, uh, and it's starting to trickle through to Europe. Uh, and that was really you know, a big part of that thesis. The consumer and their position didn't bother you in, in terms of those calculations. It was just like these uh, banks well capitalized, uh, something's got to give. I think if you look at the consumer though, uh, again, Europe's a big place. You know, our banks are very specific to the markets they operate. Bank of Ireland's an Irish bank. Uh, if you look at Kasha Bank, it's a, it's a Spanish bank. You actually look at the last 12 months, the consumer's been very strong. They've had this you know, growth uh, that's come out of COVID. It's been one, domestic consumers, but also people traveling again. Yeah. Where are they going? They're going to Italy, they're going to, to Spain. So consumer's been strong, hotel you know, bookings have been strong. So the consumer is okay. What I would caution is people look at the UK and what's happening in the UK and they extrapolate that out yeah. to Europe more broadly. And you know, we don't necessarily think that's the case. If you look at the banks we own, very focused uh, on the mortgage business, the markets that we're in, you've actually had regulators capping the ability for banks to take advantage of you know, the, the improved health of the consumer. It's not like here in Australia where the consumer is very leveraged. There's caps on the ability for banks to, to lend. And we think that helps protect uh, the banking business uh, in the event of a you know, slowdown in, in, in the consumer. Now, one of your interests in Europe, uh, in the industrial side of things, is like the analog for GE in the US, Siemens. Um, that's a big business. It covers uh, a lot of different areas. Yes. What was it that attracted you to this organization? So Siemens is an interesting one. As you say, people compare it to GE. Uh, its biggest business is its healthcare business. So Siemens Healthineers. So you go into a hospital, MRI machines, the big dollar items in hospitals, they're often you know, Siemens machines. It is a conglomerate. So it's been a conglomerate and it's often traded at a conglomerate discount, but it's been cleaning itself up. It's been selling off the non-core you know, businesses. So Siemens Energy uh, disposed of that. Even Siemens Health and Ear was IPO'd and, and they've sold down some of that stake. So over time, our view was their core businesses being health and then digital industries are extremely well placed to grow and they're cleaning themselves up, which should help address some of that discount when it comes to uh, you know, how it trades from some of the parts perspective. So health, very good business. Digital industries, the way we think about that is, as I said before, global reshoring is an inflationary story. Making something in China is a lot cheaper than making it in the US, but there's a push by politicians to drive production back home. Yep. It's going to be more costly. So what do you do about that? You have to be more productive. So businesses like Siemens are very well positioned for that. So that's the earnings side of the story. And then the valuation side of the story is as you become cleaner, uh, as people start to realize that you're not just a European industrials business, you're a global business. Um, you know, we think those things you know, help that business. And if you look at the share price, it has performed very well over the last kind of three to six months. Um, but we still think valuation yeah, looks looks attractive uh, at these levels for a business like Siemens. And Europe um, is the point of origin for some of the great beverage makers uh, in the world, and you're interested in Heineken. Uh, you've, you've said that you've re-entered Heineken as a position. What drove you to do that? Yeah, so Heineken has been a business 
we've had a long association with, owned it for 15 years up until 2017. Uh, you know, great global brand, premium brand. Um, obviously, given its European origins, uh, people look at the European business and as they become concerned about the consumer, when they become concerned about Europe, growth in Europe, the stocks have, or well, the stock had come down. So the business has changed a lot. So when you actually look at Heineken today, 60% of its business comes from emerging markets. Its three largest markets are actually Mexico, Vietnam, and Brazil. Uh, and they're markets that we think can grow comfortably for a long period of time, still underpenetrated from a consumption uh, point of view, but more importantly, from a price point of view. So while people are looking at Europe, which is probably 25% of earnings, uh, we're more focused on you know, what's happening in terms of the broader business. Uh, and we think um, its emerging markets profile allows it to grow kind of mid to high single digits over time. The other thing that really stood out with Heineken, there's actually two listings. There's the Heineken operating business, and then there's the parent company, which the Heineken family own. They're two separate listings. Now, the discount that that parent company had traded at uh, had blown out to record levels. And that was really around liquidity in the market. Right. So less liquidity uh, trade, trades at a greater discount. So we took advantage of that by buying the, the parent company or the, or the holding company. So in terms of um, other areas that you might have your eye on in, in, in Europe, is there anything that stands out? So there's a, there's a couple of areas that I'm actually going to Europe in about a month's time to do you know, the, the final stages of some, some work that we've do, been doing. So one industry that we've, we've been doing a lot of work on, unfortunately, they've bounced in the last you know, month or so, global semiconductors. Yep. So we know semiconductors are becoming ubiquitous, global slowdown. You've seen smartphone sales come down, PC sales come down. People are worried about data center with what's happening in uh, cryptocurrency. So in the short term, people are worried about demand. Um, there's some great businesses in Europe that can take advantage of, of that, ASML, ASM. So we're going to do the final uh, you know, work on that. And then the other part is really around the UK because obviously the UK is in a bit of a different uh, situation. You know, structurally, there's some challenges there, but there's some valuation uh, observations that we like uh, there that we think deserve uh, us to explore that a little bit more. So they're the two areas that we're, we're kind of focused on going forward because the UK looks like it is is the anomaly uh, in, in Europe. Well, Kev, uh, we must catch up when you return from European <laughs> fact-finding mission. But thanks very much for the insights about uh, Europe. There's so much going on there. And it's, it's so easy to um, basically confuse Europe with uh, a, a lot of negative things. But thanks for yep. um, casting a light on that. No worries. And thanks very much for joining us for the